Amen. I want to start this morning with Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And we're going to read that, but I want you to get the setting here. Jesus is just beginning his, his earthly public ministry. In other words, he's coming out from the shadows. He's beginning to expose himself uh, publicly and spiritually to the people, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But what's interesting is when Jesus began to gather the people that would help him in ministry, he didn't go to the synagogue and he didn't go to the church. He didn't go to the temple. He went to the shores and he's walking along the shores and, he, and he's looking at the people. He's looking at the booths and the vendors and those that are selling fish and those that are catching fish. And, and he's looking at those that are laboring. Somebody say labor. He's looking at those that are working and working the hardest. And he says this, verse 19, he looks out, uh, he looks out at, at, the, at the field, uh, he looks out at the people there. And Jesus in Luke chapter 19, he declares himself, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Everybody say, seek and save. I want you to understand we're talking about the nine habits of an overcoming follower of Christ. But today we're talking about being missional. And mission is equivalent to my mission, my, my vision that God has given me, the thing that God has purposed for us to do. Every single one of us have the same mission, and Jesus summed it up right here. It's to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus is just getting ready to gather people to help him to seek and to save the lost. Now, I think we as the body of Christ, anybody that's been in the body of Christ for any length of time, we know that we're to bring men into salvation. We know we're to, we're to introduce them to Jesus. We know that we're to lead them to the cross. We know that. But we have a problem with the first part, which is seeking. Everybody say seek. Seeking means that you're intentionally going after something. Seeking means that you're looking for something. Seeking means it's basically a, a set of lenses that you're viewing your world and your, your world, your daily experience by. And you're saying, I'm looking for somebody who needs to be saved. I'm expecting to run into somebody who is lost. Everybody say saved. saved. You don't need to be saved if you know where you're going. Hello? If you don't know where you're going, guess what you are? If you don't know where you're going, you're lost. And I don't know about you, there, there are a lot of Christians that, are, that know that they're going to heaven, but they're lost in their purpose because they're not seeking. And they're not seeking people who don't know where they're going. And, and people need to know where they're going because if you, don't have, if you don't have a vision for your future, you don't have strength for your today. If you don't have vision for your future, you don't have what you need to be productive today. If you don't know where you're going, you're going to walk around in confusion. Life is to have purpose, and each and every one of us has a purpose in Christ Jesus. We discover our purpose in Christ Jesus. It's not like we didn't have a purpose before we met him. It's the same purpose. 
And each one of us, no matter what lane we're running in, no matter what vein that, that, that we are working in, no matter, no matter what the emphasis in our life, our purpose will always have something to do with seeking and saving the lost. The church knows that we're to lead people to Jesus. Why? Because they're lost. Because they, they, don't, they don't know that they're living a life of darkness. I think today, more than ever before, we have the opportunity to connect with the light and connect with people, but we're actually more isolated than ever before, and we're purposeless, and we're living in darkness. If it's that way for the Christian, can you imagine how hard it is for those who don't have, who don't have a clear access to God? who don't have regular communication with God. Could you imagine how lost that would be? So the first thing that Jesus says is, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So he, he went to, about looking for people to help him to do what? To seek and to save the lost. So he went for people who had this concept, this idea, let's put it this way, this intentional lifestyle of getting up every morning, taking a look at the weather, taking a look at the atmosphere, taking a look at their equipment, uh, preparing themselves to go out and to seek something, and they were seeking what? Fish. So if the wind was blowing from the west, then they would go on, on the west coast, and they would, that's where they would, they would put their nets down to collect the fish. If it were a sunny day, they would go out in a little deeper spot because the water would be warmer. Are you hearing me? They're interpreting the atmosphere. They're interpreting the environment so that they could fulfill their mission. And their purpose was to, to catch fish. Are you hearing me? So Jesus didn't go to those whose purpose was to teach the law. Jesus didn't approach those whose purpose was to offer sacrifices to God. He went to people who were used to being on assignment, who were intentionally seeking something. And that something didn't change. They were probably raised as little kids to get up and help their daddy repair the nets, to put the nets away at night, repair them, get them ready for the morning. They may not have got to get out in the boat, but, but they got to put the nets in the boat. They may not have been able to haul in the fish inside the boat, but they got to take the fish out and, and maybe begin to clean them so they could take them to the market. They were raised with this idea of I am to seek. My mission is to seek. Everything I look at, I go to bed tonight I know the red sky at night sailors delight lots of fish in the morning red sky in morn sailors be warned we better be close to the shore everything that they did are you getting it everything that they experienced throughout the day would go back toward this seeking of the catch of fish so in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, one day while Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he's just starting his ministry now. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, and they were throwing nets into the water. They were busy. They were working. For they fished for a living. Jesus also called out to them. He said, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. What do fish have to do with people? Not much. 
But Jesus went after these people because these people were seekers of something on a daily basis. They were seeking a harvest. They were seeking a catch. They were seeking a species. They, they, everything that they did was around. Listen, I like to deer hunt, and, and uh, I will be able to do that in November, I hope. But if you are a true bow hunter, then everything that you do really kind of, you start playing around your ability to get into the timber so that the deer won't smell you, sense you, or see you. Normally, I'm not going out till after the John Maxwell event, but normally, September 28th, I stop wearing cologne. Why? Because I know if I put on cologne today, that deer sniffer is so sensitive, even if I take three showers, he's going to smell it a week from now. Do you see? And, 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 and I will not eat certain foods during or rut during that time period because if I eat certain foods, then the deer will smell it coming through my pores. Are you, are you understanding what I'm trying to say? The underwear that I wear last night would not be the underwear I'd wear in the tree today. I would get a pair of, of I would get a pair of Under Armour no scent underwear out of a plastic bag and put them on. And then when I get there, I'm going to put on clothes that were in a no-scent plastic bag. What, what am I doing? I am, because I'm seeking something. I'm not just seeking, in this case, a, a, a little, little deer. I'm not seeking a fawn. I'm seeking a monster buck. But everything that I, I usually do in the fall outside of ministry, I'm gearing toward the hunt because I'm seeking something. So what happens is my conduct changes to aid in the chase and fishermen were the same way I remember I remember years ago my dad he would he would take a baking soda and he'd wash his hands before we went fishing even if he was using live bait I said what are you doing he goes I'm not going to use soap because soap has a smell to it and that gets on the hook and the fish won't the fish will sense it and they won't bite See, his conduct was changing so that he could, because he knew he, was, he had a mission. Even though it was temporary, he was going to go out and fish. So we begin to change. Hey, sometimes we change the way we act. Sometimes we change the way we talk. Sometimes we change the way we dress. Why? Because we're, we're, seeking, we're seeking to save the lost. And Jesus went after people who understood this concept of seeking. And he called them. He says, now listen, if you'll follow me, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you something that's much better to catch. It's got a whole lot more rewards. It's going to be a little harder, but I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. Here's the, here's the deal. How many of you know that we have been commissioned to win the lost, to lead them to Jesus? Can I see your hand? Come on, raise them up high. Good, good. That's right. We're to lead. We're, we're to love God. We're to love people. We're to love God. We're to love people. We're to lead them to Jesus. And then we're to teach them how to follow him, not us. Teach them how to follow him. You got it? It's that simple. I have discovered that we know we're supposed to love and we know we're supposed to lead and we know we're supposed to teach. We have a seeking problem. Our desire to seek isn't strong enough to change our behaviors and our habits and our conduct. Are you with me this morning? We have a seeking problem. Now, Jesus, Jesus sought you before he did anything right, before he, before he did anything good, before he repented, he sought you. He came after you. 
He loved you before you loved him. We loved him. We love him because he loved us first. That's what the word of God says. So, so we have a seeking problem. The church knows, we know, come on, we know, let's be honest. We know that we are supposed to look for the lost. Now listen, you just don't meet somebody and say, hey, hey, how are you doing? Uh, what's your name? Hey, do you know Jesus? I had somebody approach me the other day on Messenger on Facebook. He says, have you heard the good news? I said, what good news? I was just seeing where he was going. I mean, he didn't even say, hello, how are you? My name is. He said, have you heard the good news? We, we have to build relationships with people. How do you build relationships? You're seeking relationships. Why would you seek relationships? Because you love people and you value them and you want to help them. Not necessarily help them become Christians. Come on, maybe you need to help them in their finances. Maybe you need to help them with their vision. Maybe you need to help them with depression. I don't know, but you find their need and you begin to sow into their life. And that builds a relationship so that you can lead them to Jesus. We know that we're supposed to lead people to Jesus, but most of the church, most of the church, say most of the church. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're most of the church. Now turn to the person on the other side and say, you're most of the church. Okay, so that's everybody. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But most of the church is afraid of the water. How can you catch fish when fish are in the water? If you're afraid of the water and that water causes you to change your conduct. Uh, oh, there, there's the water. I know. Oh, that's nice. But I don't want to get any closer. I don't want to get any closer to that. that, that that's just cl no, no, I'm feeling nervous. Ooh, I'm getting jittery. Ooh, my stomach's turning. This must not be God. I'm going to go back up here. How can we catch fish? How can we build relationship when, we are, when we're afraid of the water? Most of the catch is going to be in the deep anyway. Are you hearing me? We want to catch fish on the fringe. Really what we're praying for is that God will cause a fish to jump out of the water into our hands. That's not natural for fish. But really that's it. How can we, how can we catch fish when, how can, we, how can we catch fish when we're afraid of the water? And the water, water in the word of God is usually a picture of the sea of humanity. And with post-COVID mentality, with, with, with the experience of the world being isolated for months and some for years, our fear of the water has increased. And I've noticed, please, I've noticed that we tend to do this. We say, well, I am sick because of that person. I'm sick because of those people. 
Somebody very close to me, um, they, they, they work in an establishment where there's a lot of people and there's a lot of mixture and a lot of, a lot of changing of, of money and stuff like that. They're working in a service industry and, 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 and this person is very athletic so they go to the gym on a regular basis but they said, oh, all those people in the church are why we get COVID. No, 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 no. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the thing that we're most uncomfortable about, we tend to blame now because it's dangerous in that water. But we like doing this, so there's no danger over there. We're comfortable doing this, so there's no danger over there. Are you following me? And, and I want to tell you something. The same is true. People are afraid of the water because they're afraid they're going to get hurt. And they say, I'm going to get, people in the church are terrible. No, people in the church aren't going to hurt you any worse than people in the world do. You just expect more. We're afraid of the water. We're, we're afraid of people. M most people, say most of the church. Most of the church, even though they, they, they know they're supposed to be catching fish, even though they're supposed to be fishers of men, they're afraid of the water. And, and those that aren't afraid of the water, they don't know how to use a net or a pole, and they probably don't even have one. Let's say a net is for catching more than one at a time, and a pole is for catching one at a time. It'd be, it's like this, I know I'm supposed to catch fish, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to memorize these scriptures. Let me tell you something, scripture probably isn't going to lead somebody to the Lord that doesn't know scripture. It's your testimony, it's your influence, it's your, person, it's your personal testimony, it's your, it's your relationship that will lead them to Jesus. When you love God and they see you love other Christians, it'll create a picture of the cross and they'll be drawn to that. You lead them to Jesus, teach them how to follow him. Again, it's that, that simple. So we memorize scripture when we take an evangelism class. And you know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like the person that goes out and buys a treadmill, but their clothes hang on it instead of the treadmill being used. It's kind of like the person says, I know I'm supposed to, I know I need to lose some weight. I know I need to get in shape. I need to do something for my heart. So I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, I'm a fitness buff now. I got a whole gym in my house, but it's dusty because it never gets used and when we know that we're supposed to we're supposed to be fishers of men but but we're afraid of the water well we're not even going to begin but when we we do take that step and we we get spot we get stopped because we say well I really I really don't have time but I am a person who believes in exercise because I have a treadmill and I have some dumbbells are, are you with me do you understand what, what I'm trying to say? It's like the person who says, I need to learn about finances, and they buy a, a series of books, or they buy a, a, a teaching series for $1,500 on how to be better with your finances, yet the book has never been opened. Now, if I ever come to your house, one of the things that I will do is I'll, I'll, look, for your, I'll look for your books because you are what you feed upon. I'll see what you're reading. And then if you're not looking, I'm going to grab one of those books and I'm going to open it up and see if the pages have been bent. Most of the time, the pages haven't even been bent. They haven't even been opened. Now, that could mean you're like me and you do a lot of audible and you just like a copy of the book. But, but it also could mean that you never, ever read the thing. Having a book on your bookshelf won't make you literate. 
It won't gain you any understanding. It just may make you look smart for a, a minute. A lot of Christians, they have the fishing pole, they have the nets, but they don't ever use them. Say, say most of the body of Christ. Most of the body of Christ are afraid to bait the hook. We're talking about one-on-one. -on -one. Not reeling in a bunch of people at once. We do that in services and outreaches and things like that. But, but you know, all of my kids, all of my kids, including, including that big one right there, all of them, when they were little, did not like to bait the hook. They, they, the, either the minnow was too, too, too squiggly or the worm was too slimy, especially because they, I, was, I was taught by my dad and you didn't waste worms. They cost money, so you cut them in half and, when, and then you only use half. And then you... Yeah, but when you, when you pull them in half, guess what comes out? You know, it's messy. None of my kids, including my wife, likes to bait the hook, or like to bait the hook. You know what, what, what I did? I said, well, you ain't fishing. You just sit there with, no, with a bare hook. And then I would bait mine, and you know, sometimes I'd even show, you know, like if we were using minnows, and, and they would say, oh, no, this minnow's so gross. I said, no, it's not. I take a live minnow, swallow it. I said, nothing wrong with it. I don't know why I did that, but I did. Most of us are afraid to bait the hook. And then when we finally get that far, and we get over the fear of the water, and we start to understand how to use our, our pole, and, 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 and then we actually bait the hook, and we cast it out, when it comes in, we're afraid to handle the fish and take him off the hook because he moves too much. Flipping and flopping and slime all over and we're going to get messy if we touch him. Yes, you might get hurt. Yes, you might get, you might get pricked with a fin. Yeah, if it's a catfish, you might get bit a little bit, but it'll heal. We're afraid to handle the fish. We're afraid of new, of new believers. We're afraid of them because, listen, they're messy. Messy, messy, messy. They're messy. And they, they move. In, they don't move like a lot of mature Christians. They, they move in different circles and they move in different ways. They even gyrate different. You know, but you've got to remember they're on the hook. Take them off the hook. And the good thing is you're not going to put them on a string or you're going to put them in a, in a live well. The church is the live well. And if you won't handle them, if you won't teach them how to follow Jesus, they're going to die on the hook outside of their environment. So, so, you can't be a fisher of men if water keeps you, if, if the fear of water keeps you away from the lake. You can't be a fisher of men if you don't have a pole or a net or know how to use them. You can't be a fisher of men if you're afraid to touch the, the afraid to bait the hook. And you can't be a fisher of men if you're afraid to touch the fish. We're talking about being missional. And remember, that's part of the nine habits. 
first habit is we, be, we put the word of God first. The second, habit is, the, the second habit is that we are constantly in prayer. The third, remember the third habit that we covered is we consider our ways, which means we consider our pathways of yesterday because the decisions we made yesterday have put us to the place that we are today. It's simple that way. So we consider our ways against the word and against the spirit and we make changes. Maybe not big changes, but little changes. And this is the fourth, that we are, we are missional. Everybody say missional. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. If we're going to be missional, we have to be moved with compassion. A lot of us have passion on the inside, but there it sits. It's it's like um, it's 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 like my dad. You, you never met my dad, but my dad said to, would say to my mom, you know, I, I told you I loved you 35 years ago. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. He wasn't one to express his love. He wasn't one to, you know, and, and so so that was just the way he was. But the love on the inside uncommunicated didn't do my mom much good it didn't have much value and you know what the saying is the road to hell is paved with hello with good intentions the road to hell is you can have the the the, the passion in your heart for somebody you could know that you're supposed to get out there and get involved in their life to help them out but if you don't take the step if you're not moved toward them if you don't take an action of serving or getting into their life then that is not compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Everybody say moved. He did something because they were weary. They were scattered. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, see, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, the Lord, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. This message today is a result of that request. Jesus said this over 2,000 years ago to his disciples. And the next day he sent out all 12 of them. He said, you go cast out demons, you heal the sick, and you give them the message. You share the message, the good message with them. That repentance of sins was available in Jesus' name. And then a week later, he sent out another, or two weeks later, he sent out another 72. You understand, please get this. You're asking for God to make the fish jump out of the water, not into your boat because you're not even in the water, but you're asking him to put him into your hands. You're asking God to do something that he is asking you to do. Okay, say, jump in the water, go get them. Amen. Yeah, jump in the water and you're going to get wet and you're going to get messy and you might get hurt. Yes. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he said, Man, I want you to be moved with compassion. Why? Because they're hurting, they're harassed. They're confused. They don't know it, but they're in darkness. 
Jesus said a thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But he said, I've come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I've come to pay the price for their sins so that they, through repentance, they could have a relationship with God and the blessing of God could flow into their life. Not based on what they do, based on what they believe. They believe that I've done it for them. John chapter 3, verse 16 if we're going to be missional, we must be moved with compassion. If we're going to be missional, we must continually lay down our parts of our lives for others. Jesus laid down his life completely, 100%. He died in our place. Through the shedding of his blood, he paid the penalty for our sins. So we could be forgiven. So God could recreate our spirit, our human spirit, so he could fill it with his life, so he could fill it with his faith, so he could fill us with his love, so we would never be alone again and we could draw upon him to do the hard things in, in life. But that comes with the purpose that comes with the mission. And that is that we're moved with compassion to get into the sea of humanity and grab a hold of somebody and bring them out. To be missional, we must continually lay down parts of our lives for others. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and, and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, well, how can that love of God be in that person? How can we lay down parts of our lives for other people with joy? With purpose? It has to do with seeking. We have to foster the discipline of wanting to seek people, wanting to help people, wanting to reach people, wanting to make a difference in the lives of somebody else. That can do nothing in return for us that would benefit us. That's sacrificial giving. How do you know if you're good about laying down your life for one another? How do you know if you can lay down parts of your lives for somebody? Just look at your schedule. Or review your days of yesterday and the day before. How much time did you take apart and do something for somebody else? That wasn't family. That can't add anything to you in return. That was in need. How much T-I-M-E have you invested in seeking? We're not saying lay down your entire life. Lay down chunks of your life. Be willing to be interrupted at 8.35 at night when you just get into the recliner and you pull Netflix up and you go, ah, and then the text start. And be willing to open up our lives to somebody who has a need. 
unfortunately, because of this post-COVID kind of reality that we live in, people have become very selfish with their time. Now listen, we didn't intend to, we really didn't. We just got in the pattern of it. We did what we want, when we want, how we want. I mean, literally everything. We got up when we wanted to. We went to bed when we wanted to. We watched whatever we wanted to when we wanted to. We didn't have to wait for anything. We got so used to that that when we get interrupted in our schedule, because we really don't have one, it's what we want to do, then we think that's rude of them. How dare they? Don't they understand that I have some form of, I got to have boundaries somewhere, brother. We got a seeking problem. See, because I, if I was looking through the lenses of seeking to save the lost, then I would see every opportunity when they came up, and I wouldn't see it as an interruption into my schedule or my, my life. Can I get an amen somewhere? If, you, if I'm talking about somebody you know that's not you, say amen. Y'all, bunch of liars. First Timothy chapter 2, to be missional, we must love all people. Say all people. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants, what's that word say? Say it loud. Everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God to humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for, what does it say? What does it say? Everyone. For this is the message God gave to the world at the right time. This is the message. It's for everyone. It's not for everyone who votes like you. It's not tailor-made for everyone who thinks like you. And listen, you're not leading them to Jesus to get them to think like you or to vote like you either. You're leading them to Jesus for their sake. If there's changes to be made in those things, let Jesus talk to them about it. I'm sorry, I could get really, I could get on a little platform right here. For some reason, a lot of the church has made their Christian experience fighting against people who don't believe like them, and that is not God's intention. Our, his purpose for us is to seek and to save the lost. The gospel is for everyone. See, see we, we, will, we will have compassion and we'll be moved with compassion for people that we value. People are not valuable based on what they believe or how they vote or what they practice. Are you hearing me? People, we, we, people are, everybody is of equal value. We're not the same, but we're of equal value. And that value is the price of God's son. The price was the blood of his son to flow from that cross for them and for you and for me. They, Jesus didn't pay a better price for you than he did somebody who doesn't think like you or vote like you or look like you. It's for everyone. It's for all men. All women. What if we began to seek to save instead of seeking to change? I don't know if you know, God's big enough to bring about changes in people's lives. 
I'm serious. I'm not the same man I was 25 years ago. I'm not the same man I was last year. I'm not the same man that I was last week because he keeps changing me. And when I put my feet down and I say, no, I'm not going to change, guess who wins? It's not me. I eventually change. He does the changing. See, so, so, so you're, you're saying, God, what I want you to do, please, God, just cause a fish to jump out of the water and put them in my hands and would you please clean them before you get them here? You want a gutted, lifeless fish in your hand? When Jesus came to give us life? We have a seeking problem. And if we had his heart, we would see value in everybody. It's easy to see the negative. It's easy to see what you don't agree with. You know, sweet pea, some of the things that you think that you're just dead solid on, you're probably wrong on. Jesus had some very strange people hanging around him. Cussing fishermen, they were cussing fishermen. He had tax collectors, he had harlots, he had, he had drunkards, he had gluttons. Come on, he didn't, have, he didn't have a bunch of clean fish hanging around him. But you know what? By the time he left, a lot of them, their life had changed. Because it's a relationship with Jesus that changed them. It wasn't his message that they heard one day along the shoreline. It was the relationship. See, we're seeking to save them by introducing them to Jesus, and Jesus will promote whatever change needs to be in their life. Can I get an amen? We must love all people if we're going to be missional. We must love Jesus enough to do what he's called us to do. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came to his disciples. This is, between, this is between his resurrection and his ascension. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's, that word nations is not uh, Burkina Faso, Ghana. That word nation is ethnos, which means people groups. Peoples. Different languages. Different colors. Different cultures. He said, go and make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all the commands I've given you. What were Jesus' commands? To love God and to love people. To lead them to Jesus, and he said, to teach them how to follow him. And how to love God, and how to love people, and how to lead them to Jesus, and how to follow Him. And then what do you teach? How to love God, how to love people, how to lead people to Jesus, how to teach them to follow Him. How do they do that? Love God, love people, lead them to Jesus, teach them how to follow Him. It's that simple. You don't need to memorize 16 scriptures before you go out seeking. Look for the, look for the hurting Look for the need. Look for the reason that God put them in your life. We must love people enough to seek them. 
We must love people enough to lead them. We must love people enough to teach them. Romans chapter 10, last, last major. Oh gosh, I'm sorry, I got a bunch more, but I'll make it quick. God help me, God help me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they, how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard? And, and how, how can these lost people who you're supposed to be seeking, how can they believe in him if they never hear about him if someone doesn't tell them? 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. God's given us this task of reconciling people to him. To know that you're his disciples, you love him by how you love each other. That'll create an image of the cross, an image of salvation. Then you, you lead them to the cross. God has given us his task of reconciling people to him for, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. See, listen, please hear me. He's not counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. God is making his appeal through you and through me. So we got to get rid of the fear of the water. We got to get used to the pole. We've got to be okay with baiting the hook. We got to be all right with getting dirty, handling the fish when they're caught. And we got to bring them into the, into the storehouse, into the well, so they can grow and mature and go out and do the same. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, through you and me. Jesus, please lead them to salvation. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now here's the message, so simple. This is the message. For God made Christ who never sinned to be a sin offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the message. The message is that you gotta quit drinking and then come to church. The message is that you got to quit whoring around and then come to church. The message isn't you got to quit smoking and then come to church. The message is God loves you. Listen, he's really not counting your sins against you anymore. He made a way of making Jesus sin on that cross so he could pay the penalty for what separated you from God. And if you believe in him, if you believe in Jesus and you'll be made right with God and you won't need me to pray for you anymore. You'll have a relationship with him that's pure, that's close, that's wonderful. Romans 10, 8 and 9. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Let me say that in a better way. That's what we're to say to people. That's what we're to communicate. Man, those are the words. 
God loves you. I love you. Man, things could be good between you and God. Just believe in Jesus with me. And that's the message about faith that we share. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That word saved means rescued. No longer lost. You may get harassed and confused, but you've got somebody who will be your shepherd and will guide you. And somebody who will protect you. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Pour it into our hearts. Grow it in our spirits. Help us see through the lenses of seeking with the purpose of introducing people to you. Lord, we believe that Jesus is our Lord. We believe that he did die for us. Well, we believe you live in us. Help us to overcome our fear of the water. Teach us how to use our pole and our nets. Give us the strength and the guts to bait the hook and guide us as we get into the lives of those that we lead to you or are leading to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling us and giving us a purpose.